Okay, but Psalm 16, it says, Keep me safe, my God, um, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you are a good God. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you came to this earth, you walked among us, and you died and you rose again to give us life. Lord, I just pray that you would come today and that you would do what you want to do, that you would speak how you want to speak to each heart. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do something incredible in our city, and may you shine on us today so that we may shine your light in this world. In your awesome name we pray, amen. Sweet, you may be seated. <clears throat> so to start off, I, I have a quick question for, for all of you, and I need a little bit of interaction. And so I'm going to ask a question, and if this is something that you can say yes to, you can put up your hand or you can get a, give a little like, woo-woo, or something, you know. So I have this question, and it's really important. How many of you guys like the sky? Anybody like the sky? Yeah! <laughs> Man, I love the sky. So I, I love Red Deer. Red Deer is my home. I'm like putting roots down here and everything. I love the mountains of Red Deer and everything, but I grew up in Saskatchewan. That's where my roots are. And I grew up in a small town. There were no cities really close to give us light pollution, and I fell in love with the sky. You go to Saskatchewan, and it's called the Land of Living Skies. And I lived on the edge of a town, a small town, edge of the town, and I could see every evening the sunset. And the, the, the sun would just be piercing and, and illuminating everything, and there would be these incredible reds and oranges and pinks, and every night it'd just be incredible. I would just stand there in awe of the sunset. I love the sky. Or, you know, I fell in love with running when I was in Saskatchewan, and I'd run in the back roads, and it, harvest time was my favorite time to run, out on the back roads. You see the fields, and I like to run in the morning. And so i get out there, and while the world was still kind of dim, and you have the fields there, and it's just quiet. The world is quiet. And it starts to get a little bit lighter and gray. It starts to go from black to gray. And then all of a sudden, there's this brilliant moment when the, when the sun comes over the horizon and pierces and illuminates everything. It's just like it's set on fire. As soon as the sun peeks over that horizon, it is incredible. Or, you know, one of my favorite things when I was 
living in Karenport, I would walk to a lot of hockey games during the week, and I would usually walk like this, just in awe of the stars, because I just love the stars. I'm surprised that I didn't fall more and hurt myself or run into things. I managed to keep myself out of danger for the most part, but I just couldn't help but look at the stars. Well, while they were contrasted to the dark black night, it was incredible. You know, my friends and I actually, we'd chuck a whole bunch of blankets and pillows into the back of a truck, and we'd just go out onto the back roads and watch the stars. We loved the stars. You know, there was another time when I was a kid, this vivid memory of driving down to North Dakota and the Northern Lights. I've never seen something more incredible. As they danced across the sky, they were different colors, pinks, purples, greens. It was so amazing. I've witnessed a couple people seeing the Northern Lights for the first time, and there's just this awe that overtakes them as they are in wonder of the northern lights. I love the sky, but I think what I love about the sky is the light. I love the light in the sky when the stars are contrasted to the black or the, the northern lights are illuminating a, a, across this black backdrop or when the sun pierces over the horizon. I love the light in the sky. We are drawn to the light as it's contrasted with the dark, or when light bursts forth and pierces through the dark. But I think the same is true in the spiritual realm. When the light of the Lord bursts forth, it's incredible. Today, I want to look at the light of the Lord in the darkness of the world. As God's light shines upon the world. Even driving here today, I was actually literally blinded by the sun. And I had to pull over to like let my windows unfog even more. Because I was so blinded by the light. But when God's light shines on the world, it is illuminating. And it, it excites. It evokes these excitement, exciting feelings and everything. You just get ramped up for life. So if you want to flip to Isaiah 60, that's where we're going to be today, Isaiah 60. And you know, this summer I was reading through Isaiah. It was rocking my world. I was just getting more and more and more excited as I was reading through this Old Testament book because it started to put in me, I, I just felt like the Lord was speaking, that he has something for Red Deer that he has something for us, that he has something for Living Stones Church. And I, like this passage or this sermon, I've just been getting so excited about it. You know, a lot of people will look at the Old Testament and they think it's a picture of an angry, vengeful God. And they, some people will say, you know, the Old Testament, we have an angry God, but then in the New Testament, it's a loving God. No, he's the same God. And you see the same loving, gracious God in the Old Testament starting in Genesis when he creates man to have a relationship with him. God continuously reveals himself to his people. And then he chooses Israel to reveal himself to them so that they can show the world the one and only God. And so God enters into this covenant relationship with them and says, look, I want to be your God. I want to dwell among you. And you will be my people. I'm going to enter into this relationship, and, but there's going to be some, um, some circumstances, I guess, or, or you have to obey. If you'll follow me, it'll go well. I'll bless you. You will be my people. I will dwell among you. But if you 
disobey me, there will be curses. There will be some consequences. Because that's the kind of relationship that we're entering into. So you see throughout the Old Testament, Israel does well at times, and then all of a sudden, um, they, they fall. And we get into the prof- prophetic books, and you see God, and this is where a lot of people think that God is an angry God during this time. No, he's a God of grace. And he is so patient, that's why he sent the prophets to say to the nation of Israel, come back, you're not too far gone. You're not beyond reach. I want to restore you. Come back so that you don't have to go through this punishment. He sent numerous prophets, but finally God was like, okay, I need to punish you so that hopefully you will come back to me. And that's where we see that, that angry part, but is God just holding up his word? But after that, all, all the time in the prophets, we see this, um, this restoration theme. That, you know, even after you've gone through the fire, I'm going to bring you out. And I'm going to restore you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to rebuild you. And I will be with you. Always. So I love the Old Testament because it reveals a God who is loving, who is gracious, who is patient, who is good, and who reveals himself to his people. So that's kind of a little bit of background about the Old Testament, which a lot of you know, I'm just reminding us. Um, So Isaiah 60, though, the first three verses is where we're going to be, and it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The first point that I want to kind of chat about today is that we need to bask in the light. We need to soak in the light, become saturated by the light so that we can shine. So um, the first verse, you know, as we get into this, a little bit about the Old Testament again is that there's two different covenants, obviously, in the Bible. We've got the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and then the New Testament, the New Covenant. And so when we're reading or preaching through any book of the Bible, really, we need to understand where the writer is coming from, who they're writing to, and what the circumstances in history are, so that we can understand what's going on there in the normal, or when it was first written, so that we can apply it to today in 2014. So a little bit about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote it. He was a prophet, and he was, you know what? I'm sorry, my earring keeps, I tell you. That's why I don't wear jewelry. (laughs) There we go. Um, So Isaiah, in the first chapter of this book, he says that he prophesied during four kings' rules in the southern kingdom. So after Solomon, you have the division of the nation of Israel, there's the northern kingdom, which went by the name Israel, and then the southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem was. So Isaiah is prophesying in the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. He was like an advisor to a lot of the kings that he prophesied under. And so he was there, and the first king that he prophesied during his reign uh, was the king Uzziah. So in chapter 6, we hear when the king Uzziah died, that's when Isaiah saw the Lord. And that's where he was commissioned. He said, here I am, send me. After he saw the glory of the Lord, he says, I'm a a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, I'm ruined. And then he was cleansed. And he said, send me. So that's kind of the commissioning. After Uzziah passed away, 
Then Isaiah really got into his ministry, and then he prophesied during his son's reign, Jotham, who was also an upright king. And then we come to Ahaz, who wasn't an upright king. He, he served the Baals. He served the other gods. And Ahaz, during his reign, the Assyrian army was making their conquest across and coming to conquer everything. So it's under the, the reign of Tiglath-Pileser, who's the Assyrian king. He's coming across, and Ahaz is thinking, okay, there's two options. Either I go to battle against this guy, and I probably get wiped out, or I, um, I just surrender, but then I still get wiped out, or maybe a third option, I can strike a deal with him. So against what Isaiah the prophet was recommending, he struck a deal with this Assyrian king, But that led to the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel, which left Judah really vulnerable. And that's who the Assyrians were coming for next. Even though there was this deal, Assyria wouldn't have it. But before that, Tiglath-Pileser passes away, so does Ahaz. And then we come to the next king, and the next king is upright. It's Hezekiah. So Sennacherib is the new king in, um, in Assyria, and he's coming across, and he threatens Jerusalem. And you read this, this story where Hezekiah hears the threats, and he goes before the Lord, and he says, God, you have to save us. And there's this incredible deliverance that the Lord brings about. But right after that, the last cha- or chapter 39 in Isaiah, there's this prophecy that there's going to be destruction for Jerusalem. That exile is coming. And in that chapter, when you read it, it's kind of like, seriously? Lord, have you forsaken your people? I'm sure the people who would have read this in the first, or for the first time back then would have thought, Lord, no, it can't happen. And that's kind of the end of the first part of the book, but then we get into the second part in chapter 40. And it's all about redemption. It's all about rebuilding, restoration, bringing people back to the land. And so in Isaiah 60, we're hearing promises of restoration when God would come and rebuild after they've gone through the fire. So verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The cool thing about um, this first verse, it starts out with two imperative verbs. So imperative verbs, they're like commands. You have to do this. I'm commanding you to do this. And the first imperative verb is shine, or arise, stand. Stand up. Rise up, he's saying. Pay attention. Get ready. It's almost like we stand in anticipation, like, like a wedding when everybody rises as the bride is coming through because there's this anticipation of the bride coming. Or, you know, when the queen comes or royalty, you're supposed to rise in their presence. There's this respect, this honor paid to the queen. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying, rise up, get excited, stand up. I'm going to do something. Stand up. So it's this imperative, this command. Get excited about what I'm going to do. And the second imperative or command is to shine. And this light or this word shine, the root is the same root word as light in the, in the Hebrew language, or is what it is. And it's conjugated in such a way that it's a verb, it's a command, it's an imperative verb. So basically shine Or in other words, it's be the light. 
become the light. So Isaiah is saying, rise up and be the light. Shine. And I'm commanding you to do this. So in the Old Testament, for Israel, basically at, the, at first, this is almost like an exor- exhortation. Saying, hey, a little kick in the butt. This is what you were supposed to be. You were supposed to be the light. This is who you were, were called to be, what you were created for. But you haven't been living it. So stand up now and shine. Be the light. This exhortation to the nation to be who they were called to be. You know, so we have these first two imperative verbs, and then we go to two other perfect verbs. And a perfect verb basically is when it's been completed. Something has, an action has been completed. So we come to these next two verbs, and it says, and the glory of the Lord rises, or sorry, your, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. It's too bad because the NIV, it doesn't translate both of those verbs the same. But, so the first one makes sense. The, the, your light has come. So your light has come. And the second one, it could be, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He's saying it's already been done. It's a completed action. Your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. But in the time that this was written, that wasn't the... That wasn't actually what was happening. They didn't feel that way. They didn't feel like the glory of the Lord had risen upon them. They were waiting for that. But the author uses these perfect verbs to say this is a sure thing. It will happen. You can count on it. Your light will come and your glory, the glory of the Lord will rise upon you. You can be sure of it. You can be sure of it. You know, and their glory, what was their glory? Their glory was the glory of the Lord. It's almost reminiscent of when God shows up in the cloud or on Mount Sinai. When God's glory appears, it's incredible. I just, I love the image of Mount Sinai when the people are there and when Moses goes up this mountain, the mountain is shaking and trembling. There's peals of thunder and there's lightning, there's, there's smoke, there's fire, there's cloud, and it's, it's terrifying, but exhilarating. And Moses goes into the glory of the Lord. God's glory was Israel's glory. You know, one of the um, commentators, he quotes Muhlenberg, and it says that Muhlenberg points out that the glory is characteristic of divine theophanies. So basically when God would show up. And when God appears in his kavod, which is the Hebrew word for glory, so when God appears in his glory, his overwhelmingly majestic reality that impresses itself on the observer, The wonder of this chapter is that the glory of the Lord is to be reflected from Israel. This is the climax of one of the prominent themes of the book. God is reminding the nation that their glory lies in the one who revealed himself to them. He's reminding them of a promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's reminding them of what they were called to be. And what will come after, after the fire, after the exile. But what about us today? 
We don't live in the, new, or in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. We live in this new era. And it, these perfect verbs, they correspond to us. The light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Who is this light? Who is this glory? It's Jesus. This is the excitement of where we live today. We can know Jesus, the light. What they were hoping for, we get to know. We get to live in and walk with. This is the excitement of the New Testament. And you know, Isaiah prophesied a ton about the Messiah. In Isaiah 9, a lot of you probably know this passage, and it says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A couple verses down, he says, for unto us a child is born, or un- and a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with right, or justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This is what God was going to do. This is what Isaiah prophesied, and this is what we have experienced. Matthew quotes that in the New Testament at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, saying, this has been fulfilled in Jesus. The light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen, and it's in Jesus. This is what we have been waiting for. But my question, or one of my questions today is are we standing in the light? Do we rise in honor of the light? Do we anticipate meeting with Jesus? Are we basking in the light? Are we basking in Jesus? You get this image of the dawn um, when when the sun breaks over the horizon and kisses one's skin and sets it on fire. It changes things. You get this image of Jesus dawning upon his church, upon the world. We need to stand in the presence of Jesus, to bask in it, to long for it, to soak in it, to long for him and to soak in him. You know, the interesting thing about these imperative verbs, as I've already said, is that light, or that shining, (laughs) so arise and shine, it's taken from the root word light. And it's calling us to be the light. Well, how do we be the light? we got to be in the light. You know, you think of Moses going up on Mount Sinai, and there he is for 40 days in the presence and the glory of God. And when he comes back down, his face shone. Are we so saturated in Jesus that our faces shine when we go out into the world, in the darkness of the world? Are we basking in the light you know, Ephesians 5.8, it says that we are the light in the Lord. It says once we were darkness, but now you are light, and light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Are we living in that light? Just want to throw it out there and challenge all of us. Are we doing this? And I want to continue on and, and ask, what does it mean to stand in the light? Ephesians 5.13, it says everything exposed by the light becomes visible. As Mark was saying during communion, 
maybe we need to repent of some stuff. (laughs) Maybe some stuff is dimming our ability to shine so that we can't shine as brightly because there's some things that we need to deal with. And if that's the case, let's deal with it. Let's repent because I don't think revival really takes place until we start to repent and say, Jesus, we need you. Are we going to repent? Will we be the light? And when the light comes, you think of a greenhouse, it changes the atmosphere. It causes growth. As the light, as the sunlight shines, as Jesus shines on us, it will change the atmosphere. If we would bask in the light, what would happen if all of the believers of Red Deer would bask in the light, soak in Jesus' presence every moment of every day? I think the atmosphere of Red Deer would be changed. I think we would see something different. You know, Darren, Pastor Darren, talked about Paul and Silas last week and how they were thrown into jail, but while they were in that jail cell, they worshiped God. They praised God. They were light in the darkness. And when they started to shine and bask in his glory, the atmosphere changed. (laughs) The, The floors were shaken. They were set free. It was incredible. And the prison guard And his whole family came to know Jesus. What would happen if we basked in Jesus all the time? I think our city would be changed. And that's what I'm excited about. See, we are the light of the Lord. We are called to be the light of the Lord in the darkness of the world. How? By basking in his light. So why is it important that we shine, though? So in verse 2, if we keep reading, it says, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. This second verse, it's a description of the world, of the darkness, that it is dark, and it's almost, it's reminding the nation of Israel of when they came out of Egypt. And there were those dark plagues, That plague of darkness, it said that they could feel it. It was heavy. That's what it's like all across the world. We may not be able to see it, but you can feel it. You can feel that darkness, that oppression over the world. But in this passage, he's also contrasting the light to the darkness. And he's saying there's supposed to be a big distinction. You know, at this point, Israel was in bondage, basically. Isaiah or um, Judah hadn't gone into exile maybe yet, but they were going there quickly. And he's saying, look, we need to be the, the light in the darkness. They were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for the light. They were longing for a second exodus when the cloud came and the fire came and led them out of Egypt. They were waiting for that. And he paints this picture, this distinction between the light and the darkness to remind them of who they were called to be. That they were supposed to shine in the darkness. That there was supposed to be a major distinction between the world and Judah. And this concept is embedded in a lot of the covenants in the Old Testament. So to to Abraham, Genesis 12 and 22, when God says, through you all peoples will be blessed. Or in Exodus 19, saying, you will be a kingdom of priests. They were called to shine the light to the dark world. They weren't just supposed to hide it. What does Jesus say? You don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, you you put it out so that all can see. 
We're supposed to be a city on a hill that shines. So Isaiah is saying, you're, Israel, you're going to be this again. You will be this light in the darkness again. Once again, though, what about us today? I love this passage, or this verse, because the first verse was kind of perfect, completed. It's already taken place, and now just do it. This second verse, it kind of comes back, and it describes almost the era that we're living in now. In Jesus' Jesus's day, when he talked, he said, the kingdom has come, but he also said, it's coming. Because Jesus, he came, the light has come, the, the glory of the Lord has risen, but it's not fulfilled quite yet because Jesus hasn't come in his second, second coming with all of his glory. And so it's kind of, we live in this weird stage of already, we already have the presence of God, but the not yet because we're not in heaven yet, or God's kingdom hasn't fully come to earth yet. And so we're in this stage of we need to work out our salvation. We're called to become the light in the darkness as we bask in him. The, verse 2, it has these um, imperfect verbs. Imperfect meaning incomplete, or it's in the process. This is being worked out. So the darkness will cover, or yeah, the darkness will cover the earth, which we see. It's in the process of, but also the light of the Lord, the Lord will rise upon it. He will rise. And in the New Testament, this is where we're living. This already not yet, that the light has come, and yet we still need to work it out. The darkness still covers the earth, and yet the light has come. And so it's kind of this back and forth kind of thing where we live in the present. We live in the promise, but we're also seeking the promise. So why is the world in darkness, though? I think we all know sin has corrupted our world. And sin brings bondage. It brings blindness. It brings death. And that's why Jesus came. You know, Ephesians said that people were without hope and without God in this world. That's why Christ came. And he gave us the light. And he said, you now, like he's proclaimed, I'm the light of the world, but then he also said, you are the light of the world. And we are called to pierce the darkness because we have the light. And it's part of working out our salvation as we continuously soak and bask in the light. You know, it's like the moon. The moon can't reflect the, the light of the sun unless it's actually receiving the light. So when we get an eclipse, it's because the earth or something has blocked that path of light to the moon to reflect back. In the same way, we need to be in God's presence, be developing and working out our salvation and walking with him, soaking with him, having this intimate relationship with him so that we can reflect. Because if we have no communication, we're not going to reflect. We're not going to shine very brightly because we are called to be the light of the world that pierces the darkness, that pierces through that. So why do we need to stand in the light, though? Why are we called to pierce the darkness? It's so that we can see the borders expanded. We're called to be an alluring light. 
We're called to be a magnetic mass that draws people to the one light, to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. You think of a dark room and when you light a match, when the power has gone out and you light a match, everybody's eyes immediately go to that light. They're drawn to it. I I think of a bug's life. (laughs) You know, there's this one random scene where there's that um, zapper kind of light thing and one bug's flying towards it and the bugs are like, don't go towards the light. He's like, but it's so beautiful. And zap, you know? Like, that's what we should be almost, though, that people can't resist coming to church. People can't resist being in community with Christians because the light is here, and we are an alluring light, a magnetic mass drawing people in. Why? Because of Jesus in us. Because of the light that is shone on our hearts and shines out to the world, to pierce the dark. This is what we're called to be. When you light one match, everybody looks at it. When you light tons of matches and candles, it's a blinding force. You know, we come to church to to encourage one another, to inspire each other, to worship corporately, and it is important. I love, I love, love, love coming to church. I love it. Because I know that I'm not alone when I leave this place. I know that I'm not the only one walking with Jesus, struggling to work out that salvation every day. I know I'm not alone, and there's strength in numbers. And as I see you serving Jesus, it inspires me to serve Jesus. As I see you shining brightly in your different worlds, it inspires me to shine brightly in my world. We need to meet together. Christian community is imperative, but this can't become a social club. It can't be something that we just come because that's what we do and we sit and, yeah, we pray for the lost, but we don't do anything about it. It cannot become a social club. You know, I had a prof this past spring who said, you know, a lot of times I think in church, We continue to pray and ask God to do something. When he said, I've already done it and I've given you that responsibility. Why are you giving it back to me? I've already given it to you. You know, even last week I was, I was singing and we were singing, waiting here for you. And I was like, yeah, God, we're waiting in anticipation. And then he was like, what are you waiting for? I've already done it. Just go do it now. Just go shine. Go be the light. I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) okay, God, (laughs) sorry. You know, like, you know, this past um, summer, one of my youth leaders shared in youth, and I don't know if it was a video or if he said it, but one of the lines that was used was, don't just talk about it, be about it. It's time to be about it, to not just sit and pray and wait. Yes, it is only a move of the Spirit. We cannot change the atmosphere ourselves, but we are also required to go out. We're called to go out and pierce the darkness and shine brightly to be that alluring light so that the darkness of the world or the people in the dark can come to life and can come to light. Don't just sit around, but do it. Don't just talk about it, but be about it. You know, um, one of our young adults, she was sharing with me that she came to Christ when she was um, like 20 or something like that. I don't know really remember. But when she came to Christ, she was so excited, and she went back, and she told all of her high school friends, and and some of them said, oh yeah, like, we've been going to church for the past 
number of years, she's like, you never told me? Why didn't you tell me? I don't want to be that person where somebody comes to the Lord later on and says, why didn't you ever tell me? Or I don't want to be that person who missed that opportunity because I was too scared (laughs) or it'd be awkward, socially awkward. Oh, I don't want to do that. No, it's worth it. We've got to shine our light. That's what we are called to do. That's who we are. We have the light. We are the light. We just got to shine it. You know, I pray that maybe some of you here today don't know Jesus, but that you came here because you saw the light in a friend or an acquaintance, and you said, I have to be there. And if you want to know Jesus today, man, he's waiting for you. He wants to shine his light on you. And he wants to give you new life and set you free from your past. And if that's you, today after the service, come talk to myself or um, we can have some prayer, um, prayer partners up here who can walk you through and explain more about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. For those of us who know the light and who have walked with Jesus for a number of years, maybe, maybe we just aren't shining very brightly. Maybe we need to repent. Are you basking in him? Is your face shining? When was the last time somebody asked you about your faith? Or maybe when was the last time you told somebody about your faith? Yes, we need to act it out, but we also need to speak it. So many people don't know the gospel. We have the light. We are the light. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. You know, a year ago, we dedicated our our land, um, 133 acres, that's what you see out on that wall. And one of the passages that Pastor Paul and both our mayor, Tara Veer, um, brought up and really felt that the Lord had given them was Isaiah 54. And they read this there, and it just, I get so excited when I start to think about what God wants to do. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Man, I get excited because I'm praying, God, can you show, can you expand our borders? Can we be this alluring light who brings people in? That the nations, verse 3 of chapter 60, it says, nations will come to your light and rulers and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's what I'm praying, that people would get saved because we're shining so brightly. I want to see people saved. But we have to do part as well. What's our part? What's God's part? He's empowered us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know, it's funny, the chapter right after chapter 61, or 60 is 61, obviously, um, and it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus read this when he started his ministry in Luke 4. And he went out and he lived it. He preached boldly and he set the captives free. He healed the sick. But then he said, okay, I want you to do it. 
In Luke 9, he sends out the 12, and they do the exact same thing. And then in Luke 10, he sends out 72 people, and they do the exact same thing. And then we get to Acts 2, when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to commission the church, to empower the church to go and be the light, to go and preach boldly, and to set the captives free, to see healing come. This is what God wants to do. He says, I've given you everything you need. I've shone on you. I have risen on you. It's a done deal. Now go and shine. Stand up and shine. Shine my glory. Shine my light. And let's become this massive going forward to Jesus. Our light has come. Now go and shine. So quickly, before I close, I just want to ask, how do we actually be the light? What does that look like? Individually, spend time in the light. Bask in his presence. Get to know Jesus. Spend time in the scripture every day. Have your own worship services. Go for a walk, pop in the music, and just worship God. As you're washing dishes, put on some worship music, and just ask the Holy Spirit to come upon your house and to meet with you, that you would bask in his presence. Get serving. I think one of the best ways to grow is to start to serve. Children's ministry needs workers. Go. Man, God is doing crazy things in the kids' wing, and it's exciting. If you want to grow in your faith, go serve there. How else do we be the light? Spend time corporately. Spend time or commune with light. Commune with the light. So come into church. There's strength in numbers. You know, talk to Marco at the ministry fair afterwards. Get involved in a small group. Get connected. Tomorrow we start the men's ministry uh, in the evening or Tuesday morning. That's when ladies' coffee break kicks off. Or Friday morning, go to the men's breakfast. Come to youth. Come to young adults. Get connected. We need to commune with the light as well. And then we need to just shine the light. So start praying. God, open my eyes and open my mouth. Pick two people or three people that you pray for every day and then ask for opportunities and then take those opportunities. Be praying, man, we're, we're getting ready for Christmas Eve already because we're excited about that, that, um, that service. One of my youth leaders came to Jesus a couple years ago at a Christmas Eve service. People are open at that time of the season. Bring them, start praying now. Man, I just get excited about this year. I know God has something incredible for us, but we have to do something as well. So can I encourage us today to be the light of the Lord in the darkness of the world as we bask in him, that we would go forth and that we would pierce the darkness and that we would see our borders expand because we are, we are an alluring light drawing people to Jesus, the one and only light. If you could stand we're just going to pray together and end the service and the worship team can come out. Yeah. If any of you don't know Jesus, today's the day. I'd encourage you, if you don't know him, come forth after the service and let us pray with you. Let us explain who Jesus is and what he's done, how he loves you. So if that's you today, um, yeah, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you do want that, if you want a relationship with Christ, but you've never experienced that, and you want today to be the day, you can raise your hand and we'll just pray with you.
cool. If you know Jesus, but you're like, I, I need to shine brighter in my workplace, in my family, in my school, and you are like, God, empower me again so, so that I can shine your light. If that's you today, if you want that prayed over you, you can raise your hand. Let's just pray. Jesus, we just thank you that you are good. Lord, you have risen upon us. You have dawned upon us. Your glory has come. God, we get to live in your glory every day. Father, I pray that you would empower each person here to walk in your light, to bask in you, to have an intimate relationship with you. God, may they go deep with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower them to go forth from this place and shine brightly. God, that they would pierce the dark as they go into their workplaces, into their homes, into their schools. God, may they pierce the dark and may people be drawn to them and may they be bold. Lord, may we be bold to bring people and to share your gospel. Yeah, Jesus, I just thank you. I believe that you're taking us into a new season. And so, God, we just say that we need you. <laughs> we can't do this by ourselves. We can't change the atmosphere, but you can. So, Lord, show us what our part is and show us what you're doing. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you and we thank and pray all of these things in your awesome and powerful name. Amen. Sweet. Be blessed. Go and shine brightly for God. Amen.